Today, obviously, is our baby dedication. And after, we will be having some, uh, some food and some refreshments next door. Before we get into that, let's, let's get into the Word. And uh, let's see what the Lord has to say to us uh, in our time of reflecting over the importance of dedicating children. And so I'm going to open up, I alluded to it earlier, I'm going to open up to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1. And uh, this is Hannah who has received a miracle. A miracle is that there is a baby in her womb, which it was said that she could not have. It's very apropos for our congregation because we have a couple testimonies of that. We also have a couple of Hannahs that um, call this place home as of at least today, right? So, 1 Samuel, chapter 1, many of you know this story. Now when she, Hannah, had weaned him, Samuel, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore I also have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshipped the Lord there. A very beautiful response, Hannah's prayer, which I'll just read a portion of. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Lord, we just come before you and I just pray, pray and ease and any feelings of rush inside of me or rush and excitement inside of all of us can just be calm to hear your word. For I believe this is an important word of the understanding of dedication. Dedicating ourselves, dedicating our children, dedicating our lives unto you. So I pray for ready hearts and minds and spirits to receive from you. Amen. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this, and this, to be honest, I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but this is my first baby dedication. So, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I don't know what to talk about. Do we just, like, dedicate and then move on to, like, the next thing that we're preaching on or, or what? And I feel like the Lord is just saying, now, there's, there's clearly something here. And so, to clarify some things, you know, when I'm looking at this, it's like, well, baby dedications, like, why, why do we even do this, you know? Um, and now, why, why, why is it that we, we choose, and most of the Protestant branches of Christianity, uh, would, would not baptize infants, right? Like, we don't do that. And so I was like, oh, maybe for some of our guests, or maybe it's for some people in the church, uh, we may not be um, accustomed to some of the reasons why. And so, why do we not baptize infants? Well, the reality here is that because they don't know what they're doing. Uh, we believe that in order to make an outward sign of baptism, which it is, an outward sign of what is happening on the inside of your spirit, that that should be done when someone is old enough to make a decision for themselves. And baptism is, a, is an important thing. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says this, Then Peter said unto them, them being those people who did not receive the Lord yet, Repent 
And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus the Messiah for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And right there is such a powerful thing, right? It's not enough just to say, oh, Jesus, come into my heart. He begins, Peter says, repent. Repentance is a, a place of the heart that says, I am no longer going to engage in the activities of sin and living that type of lifestyle, and I'm choosing to turn away from them. And then after you repent, right, it says, now be baptized. Now, the water itself doesn't have any kind of like miracle power thing. It is an outward sign of what is happening inside of us, right? Being born again, going through the water, going through the womb yet again. And then it says here that it's a promise. A promise, a gift by the Holy Spirit for us to live a life in Him, with Him. And that's a powerful thing. And so, you know, the whole thing here is dedication is not a baptism. Baptism, we believe, for these children will come when they're of an age that can make this decision for themselves. And so it's like, I'm thinking like, well, where, why and where did this whole thing of de baby dedications come from then? And we see it in the scriptures, quite a few biblical people and biblical heroes, if you will, that their parents are saying, I want to set my children apart. I'm dedicating them unto the Lord, apart and different from the rest of their generation. And so really, why do we do this? Uh, and, you know, here's the thing. The reason why we do this is really for the parents. And I don't mean like, oh, little Sally and little Johnny get to wear their, their dress or little cute tux. I mean this. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this is one of these interesting scriptures that is an absolute fact and an actual, actual truth. And what I mean by that is it works both ways. If you train someone, your child, in the ways of the Lord, they most likely will stay on that path. But there's also an inverse if you train your child in the ways of the world, when he is old, he will not depart from it. And that's not completely true because there's the power of the cross, the power of resurrection. But the reality here is how you train these little ones will have amazing, amazing effects later in life. We know this from psychology. We know this from sociology. We know this from the Bible. Right? Uh, fathers that are alcoholics, their children are much more likely to be alcoholics. Um, fathers and mothers that are abusive emotionally, verbally, physically, their kids are brought up in that environment, they are more likely. They're not destined, but they're more likely. And so this is really a message for parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts to say, man, today you, I'm not sure if you're completely aware of this yet, but you have chosen publicly to say unto this community, I am choosing to dedicate and to train up my child in the ways of the Lord. So it's not for the little ones. Probably should have propped out and prayed for the parents. <laughs> you really think about it. Right? So what's going on here, right? Children, what are they? They're a gift from the Lord, but they're the Lord's. It's the Lord's miracle, the Lord's creation, and we get to receive them on loan from him and we get to be charged with amazing responsibility to train up our children 
I am telling you, I, I'm, a, I'm a public school teacher, in addition to being a pastor, and I am telling you, since I interact with kids all the time, there is no question in my mind that the most important job that any human being can have is training up their children in the right way. And then you like you see it in the classroom, like this. <laughs> Both of these kids are trained up. Some of them were trained up the right way. Other ones were not. And you think about that. That child, when they become an adult, then they're going to have their own children. And they're going to be active participants in a generation. And, and it is so, it is the most important thing that one could really do outside of, you know, declaring the word of the Lord is really to train up your child in the way of the Lord. And so when we take a look at, at all this, and we take a look at the story of Hannah, it's very interesting. Many of us, we do these like ancient Hebraic, ancient Jewish, ancient biblical things, and we don't exactly know why and where and what's going on and why we're doing it. But we just do it. Like baptism. Like, that's not just found in the book of John. It's found in the book of Leviticus. So we do these things, and it's like, well, why are we doing it? I just do it because, you know, that's what we've always done. And so to unlock this, and really for us to really understand what's going on here, we need to get into some of the, some of the forgotten importance of words. Now, just, not just the word of God, but the speaking forth word. Right? It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word, word was with God. Right? We know that to be Jesus, the manifestation of word. But it's unbelievable to really think about the power of words. This will make sense hopefully later. The power of words. The power of words. I mean, Genesis 1-3 Everything that has ever been created was created by a word. Not by our mighty right hand. Not by some other means. God spoke and created everything. Right? So Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then he says, God spoke, and he creates all of these things out of speaking. But there's a bit of a little thing here. And the little thing is this. Hit the bust your bubble. He didn't say, let there be light, and there was light. What he said was, That's what he said. So English didn't exist yet. God chose to connect to man on planet Earth through a particular language. That language being Hebrew. So can you imagine that when he's, when he's giving this to Moses? When he's giving this word to Moses, he's saying, I said, or the or. Let there be light. And he said, let there be light. And so with that, there's a little bit of a mystery of things. And this is where we get, if you saw, I kind of went through it quickly, the title of today's message. Dedication needs education. Dedication needs education. I don't want to confuse too many of you. Don't worry. We'll, we'll, we'll try to make it simplistic. But we have, up on top there, we have two Hebrew words. The one on the left would be pronounced lehe, noch, which means to dedicate. And the one on the right is nech, to educate. Now, you may not be biblical Hebrew scholars, that's okay. The important thing here is this. 
In both words, I think all of you can probably see that there are three letters that are the same. Those letters down below, which is the Chet, the Nun, and the Kaf. Three letters. Now God has chosen to give forth this language and create all things through this manner. And the question here is why on earth would dedication and education essentially be the same exact word? They're, they're so close, it's unbelievable. In fact, what you would do is when you study Biblical Hebrew, you would say that both of those words come from an, a root. The root being the three on the bottom. And this is the power of it. I believe this is what the Lord is saying to these children. I believe this is what the Lord is saying to us unto today. And that is this. Whatever you educate yourself into is what you're going to dedicate yourself into. How do you dedicate yourself? You need to educate yourself in that thing. I'm going to say it again. What you educate yourself into is what you dedicate yourself into. Or, essentially it's this. Education brings the revelation to what one shall dedicate themselves. And this is the power of the word, and this is the power of this language, is the Lord is making a connection here. He's saying, people, what do you educate yourself in? What do you learn about? And that thing is what you are dedicating yourself unto. And I'm not talking about picking up a physics books in college. I'm talking about picking up the remote control and putting it on the TV. I'm talking about driving in the car and putting on a radio station that's talking about inappropriate things. Whatever you invest your time in, whatever you educate and learn from, is what you're taking your heart and dedicating it to. And that's the power of this, is that children today, hopefully, really, their parents are coming to them and saying, I am choosing to say that I shall educate my child in the ways of the Lord, and then there will be a dedication. Right? That's what's going on here. That's the power of these ancient things. And so it's like, all right, well, okay, okay, Dave, let's, let's slow it down here. You know, I haven't been in school in a long time. I get it, so let's slow it down. You go to merriamwebster.com, right? Source of all things good. Dedicate a verb to set apart for a definite use. To commit to a goal or a way of life. Hmm. Wow. To set apart for a definite use. Could be my time. Could be my money. Could be my energy. Could be my mind. Could be my spirit. Could be my soul. Could be my body. You make a commitment. You have a goal. Here's the reality for us today. Everyone, everyone throughout time has dedicated themselves unto something. We all commit. We all set goals. We all take ourselves and make ourselves a part and, and, and a part of something. And this is a problem because what is dedication? Essentially, in a continuation of this, dedication is the point of contact for worship. Say that again. Dedication is the point of contact for worship. And what is worship? Worship, it says, is to bring your heart down low to. 
something that you surrender yourself unto, something that you acknowledge that has a, a power and authority over you. And I believe the question is for us is, what do we bring our heart down low to? Well, I don't know. It's very simple. All you have to do is figure out what you're worshiping or what you're bringing your heart down low to. Very easy to answer that. Just figure out what you are educating yourself in. Look, I'm a high school teacher. Like, education is important. I'm not saying you need to, like, drop out of school and spend all day just reading the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. You have to be very, very wise and very, very careful about what you are allowing your brain to learn from. Very, very careful. And so, what you're investing your mind into and what you're investing your emotions into and, and your time and your energy and your resources is essentially what you have chosen to dedicate yourself unto. So you got to watch out. Like, what, what am I dedicating my time, my energy, my, my life force into? So it says here a goal, a commitment. Well, I think you have to have your head in the sand if you don't believe this to be true, but in the Western culture, the vast majority of human beings' time, energy, and resources are invested into which aspect of life? I don't, in the church or out of the church? Well, a lot of people in the church. Not all people in the church, but a lot of people in the church. Well, entertainment is, 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 is good, but uh, I was going to say, really, to make a livelihood. I mean, I ask kids all the time in school, like, why are you here? Like, why are you in school? And they're like, oh, like, why are you here? Like, I'm like, are you here because of how Thomas Jefferson viewed education? That you would be a holistic human being? That you would know all things so you can become an enlightened one? Or are you here so you can make a skill to be able to go to college in order to get a career, to make more money, to get more stuff? Which one is it? They're like, oh, it's the second one. Of course it is. Very few people go to school and get educated because they want their mind to really, you know, grow and, 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 and be learned and understand all these mysteries of human civilization. Most people go to school to get a trade or a skill to make money so they can buy stuff. Now just think about the amount of energy attention that we place on our children to be educated. And I'm a teacher and I'm saying education is very important. It's very important. But it's like, man, we have a whole generation of believers who are so focused on getting the job and getting a job and a career is very, very good and very, very important. I have one. You have one. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But man, the type of, the amount of attention and detail that is placed on that. Oh man, I gotta get my kid into full day kindergarten, or I need to get my kid into pre-K because we don't want them to be too far behind. I need to get my kid a tutor, and they need to study this, and they need to do this, all that. Whoa! Can you imagine if you took that type of time and you said, we're going to invest that into dedicating and educating ourselves in the things of the Lord? Man, you'd have revival in uh, like 15 years from now. It's funny, I saw an old meme. I had a picture of, uh, of like fundamentalist Muslim kids kneeling down on a, a, a prayer rug reading the Quran, right? Like, they're like eight years old. Then they had a, a picture underneath it of, 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 of Jewish kids, like, like legit, like Orthodox Jewish kids with the, the curls, the hat, right, and the tassels, the zitziot, and they're sitting there like davening, praying over the scrolls and reading. Then a picture of a Christian the same age watching Veggie Tales. 
Like, VeggieTales is good. But at some point, we got to be like, yo, son, yo, daughter, it's time to get serious about educating and dedicating yourself unto the living God. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, Muslims and Orthodox Jews are provoking me to jealousy. You see, I had an eight-year-old kid in, in Jerusalem, which I've been there and lived there, you know, and it's like 11 o'clock at night, he's like eight, nine years old, and he's sitting there praying and worshiping and reading the, the scrolls of, of Isaiah, and I'm like, wow. There's an understanding. What you educate yourself into is what you're giving your heart unto, is what you're giving your mind unto, and it's so deeply connected. Other commitments and goals could be uh, morals. You want to teach your kid in, in, in good morals, and we want to live out good morals. It's a very good thing to do and a, an appropriate thing to do for society to engage with one another. Now, that's something that we educate and teach our kids into. But, I, I, you know, newsflash. These days, morals are rapidly changing. Like, rapidly changing. And so the question here is, even if you're making a focus on training up your kids in morals, whose morals are you educating them in? Now, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, you'd be like, oh, they're, they're pretty close. You're okay. Today, they're not so close. And I'm telling you, as the days progress, unless revival breaks out in this country, which we're believing for, it's only going to get worse. And so you have to understand, right, whose morals am I going to teach my child? I'm going to teach the morals of God or the morals of our culture. And for you baby boomers on up, that wasn't much of a difference. But you generation X down, there's a big difference. And Gen Z, whoo, we're praying revival. I want to tell you this. You know, I imagine a lot of people, I imagine a majority of the people here are like, I want to set myself apart for the use of the Lord. I want to commit my, my way and my goal unto the Lord. Many of you, if not all of you, are, are, are attending a, a church. Or many of you may be born again and saved and invited the King of Kings and Lord of Lords into your heart and have repented and, and all that. Some of you may have not. But I can tell you this, that all those people that I was just describing that have made this commitment, there is a barrier that is so powerful that will keep you and your family from wholeheartedly being dedicated unto the Lord. It's still there. And I've seen it to be extremely powerful. Uh, and that barrier is this. The desire to fit in. Good. Now, obviously the desire is backwards, making a little thing like you're not supposed to fit in. There is a tremendous power of our culture to fit in. There's just a problem. According to the scriptures, we are called to not fit in. But the barrier of having and trying to fit in to your mass culture is probably the single biggest hindrance in dedicating oneself unto the Lord. Now, when I was growing up, I was the weird kid. So I'll be honest, there's nothing special about me outside of Jesus loves me. But I was the weird kid, and I never fit in. 
And it's not because I was like, so anointed of God and praying. No, no, no. I just didn't fit in. And actually, it was a nice luxury. Because if you don't fit in, you never really feel like the need to fit in because you just know you don't fit in. I mean, in sixth grade, sixth grade in the middle. Sorry, mom and dad, they're here. In the middle of sixth grade, it was so tormenting. January 7th, 1991, I remember. We got into a U-Haul truck and we left the greatest island on planet Earth, Long Island, and moved to this mythical, mystical place called Bucks County in the middle of sixth grade. And I come walking into the elementary school. First day is a, I still remember, first day is a field trip. I'm going on a field trip. I'm like, where am I? And kids are like, who is this kid? Right? Sixth grade. And they ask me a question and I talk. And when I talk to them, they're like, why? Because in sixth grade, they have never heard a legitimate Long Island accent. Now, I, I no longer have it because it was like kind of ridiculed out of me to try to fit in. But man, a little sixth grade moving, kids were like, what the heck is up with this kid? Uh, you know, fortunately, my parents worked really, really hard. Uh, really, really hard. Maybe too hard, but they worked really, really hard. And we lived in a very nice neighborhood, a very nice area, a very a wealthy area. Although we ourselves weren't wealthy. And so people, people always talk about like, you know, living in a poor neighborhood or a lower middle class neighborhood is real tough. I'm like, bro, what's tough is like when you show up to your buddy's house and they live in a, in a mansion. When I mean a mansion, I mean a mansion. When I mean a mansion, I don't mean like a half million dollar house. I'm talking legitimately four million dollar house with a swimming pool inside and a bowling alley. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Nothing against my parents. They worked really hard for us to live in a reasonable residence in this very wealthy area. But when you don't have it, man, and you're walking around with last year's fashion, or your cousin's hand-me-down, and the kids are walking fresh out of, like, you know, Fifth Avenue, legitimately... When I'm pulling up to school my junior year all happy in a 1986 Camaro. But it's like 1997. And you have people that are bringing, you know, their dad's last year's lease that they decided to buy for their son or daughter. Which is a BMW. Maserati. You know, you don't fit in. I was an athlete, and I remember the summer, the summer of 69. No, that's not true. That's a song. No, the summer of 69. No, no, no. The summer of 96. Legit. Summer of 96. I remember it like it was yesterday. It was the last summer of legit, 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 legit fun. I'm telling you, I remember, I mean, I remember literally last week we're playing stickball, a manhunt at night, I'm 15, and the next week, PlayStation 1 comes out. I'm telling you, something changed in the spirit. We went from like TurboGrafx-16 and Duck Hunt and Sega Genesis to 
PlayStation. And all my buddies who were like quasi-athletic, not really athletic, but you know, like the athletic kids that still can't make the team, but they're good. They're like, I want to play video games. There's nothing against video games, but when I'm 16, I'm like, come on! It's beautiful outside. I don't want to play video games. They're like, we're going to play video games. I was like, I literally would be like walking around, getting in trouble for my parents because I'm you know, going to the woods and not telling anyone and get in trouble. No, I was a lot younger, I think, that, that one. No, um, uh, in, the, in the church, surely you'd find some kind of uh, connection to the church, but you know, back in the 90s, uh, you know, and still today, my family is very, very uh, uh, part of plugging into the understanding of the Jewish roots of the faith. And that's not so cool today, and in the 1990s, that really wasn't so cool. And in some places, it is cool. Fortunately, this is a place that it is cool. But, man, you're like 16, and you're talking to people about Hanukkah and all this kind of stuff. They're like, what are you talking about? So I tried to fit in. The accent wouldn't let me. The money may not have let me. The video games, I just didn't like video games. I had too much cooped-up energy. Like I said, there's nothing special about me. I just simply didn't fit in. And so what's going on here is this. I really do believe that a desire to fit in is a natural thing. I would even go on to say, to some level, it's a spiritual thing. Like, it fit into the family of God. I mean, like, you know, we're part of a tribe, right? A holy nation of priests. And so fitting in is a natural thing, but for our little ones here, the question is here, but to fit in with whom? That's good. Who are you going to fit in with? And I'm telling you, there's a line. There's a line in the sand. It's like the sheep and the goats. It's like, there is a line that says, hey, I'm fitting in. With either those who choose to build up the kingdom of men or I'm choosing to fit in with a holy priesthood that chooses to build up the kingdom of God. I'm choosing to fit in with the world, with the lost, with those who seek out self-pleasure as the ideal or I'm choosing to fit in with the redeemed who says I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to pick up the cross daily. And that's hard for a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, let alone a 40-something-year-old, a 50-something-year-old. The question is, we all have a desire in some regard to fit in. So the question is, to whom will you fit in? Now, today, we take a look at these children. These beautiful children today really are a witness to us. They really are a witness to us. Because they're there. And they essentially have what, what John Locke said, uh, a tabula rasa, a blank slate. Like they're there, that little baby, that little kid is sitting there with really no, nothing really written upon their mind so much yet. And now they get to have things written upon them, right? Both good and bad. Like how to live a life, how not to live a life. And those kind of things will come in time. But really what we have here is like this beautiful, beautiful potential. What shall they be? And you look at Kyla right there, you're like, what shall she be? What community will they be a part of? Who shall they be? I mean, these little kids sitting and pooping in their diapers and drooling. I mean, they are, they are babes that are, that are hopefully, and God willing, grow up to be future prophets and priests and worshipers, and evangelists. If they choose to fit in with the right crowd. 
And so here's the thing, man, for the parents. You dedicate your children today. But tomorrow, you will have to educate them in that dedication. Hey, yeah, let's dedicate, pretty dress, tux, we're going to go out and get some food. Oh, take some pictures. You're dedicating today, but tomorrow you will have to educate them in that dedication. And that's where it really happens. And you will educate them in something. Just depends on which one you educate them into. Uh, Mary, if you can come on down, please. And so I said that these children are a witness. They're a witness to all today. And I said, what shall they be and who shall they be? And what is their witness? The witness is this, and so who are you? Who are you? They bear witness today to the potential. And so who are you and what will you be? Have you dedicated yourself? Yes, everyone dedicates himself into something. What have you dedicated yourself into? What have you educated yourself into? Have you educated yourself in the things of the Lord? Have you dedicated yourself for purity and righteousness unto a living God? Or do you just fit in? Or do you just fit in? 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 says this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Man, I remember when I got this at 15, 16, I don't fit in. Yeah! You're not supposed to fit in. You're a holy, righteous priesthood set apart to show the darkness the light of God. Fit in. You're not supposed to fit in. And so when you don't feel like you're fitting in as a kid, as a teenager, as an adult, glory to God in the highest. If you're fitting in, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Something may be off. I believe that today, and these little ones, I pray, will be a part of it. But I even pray that we would be the tip of the spear for them. And it's this. I really do believe that in America and in the West, and particularly in the church, that there needs to be a 21st century counterculture that happens. In the 1960s, we have a counterculture that was not entirely good. But it also was not entirely bad. But it was not entirely good. I mean, you know, it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. But it wasn't just about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was also to be like, can I find meaning in getting a bigger house? Can I find meaning in buying all the new clothes? Can I really find meaning in looking apart like everyone else? So I originally, the counterculture movement grew their hair out, grew the beards out, had holes in their knees. It was like, dude, I don't have to look this way to get acceptance from you. And of course, the counterculture movement got wacky. Because movements of men get wacky. And you know, a church is wacky if it's a movement of men. And so I, I talk to my students, I say, do you think that it is possible for your generation to have a counterculture? And overwhelmingly, they're like, no way. And it's like, wow. Why? 
Today, outward signs of difference is everywhere. It has become accepted. But internally, many remain the same. And here lies the dilemma. Pink hair, blue hair, purple hair, short hair, beard, no beard, gothic, emo, hipster, whatever you are in. It's all outward signs. And the kids themselves say, we have all these outward signs, but the reality is, inside we're all the same. We all have the same goals and the same things. And I'm believing that there needs to be a generation that says, man, outside doesn't matter. What matters is inside. I am eternally, internally changed. And if we can be a part of a people that are like that, man, we're going to see revival in our land. But there are people in the church who, who still are not okay with having their hearts internally and eternally changed. Be this guy. Man, I pray my daughter is this guy. I pray that these little ones is like this guy. I pray I'm like this guy. Now some of you may not know who he is. August Landmesser. Living in Germany. Here he is. He's in the middle of a crowd of Adolf Hitler giving a speech. And everyone does a C-Kyle except for one. One man in a nation. He's like, nah, this guy's a joke. And he refuses to salute a dictator. And then he's sent to a concentration camp. And he's killed. Because when you come face to face, with the spirit of the world, something is going to die. Sometimes it's the flesh, and every time it's the spirit man that needs to die and be resurrected in him. Something must die. But man, the power of that. And I just want to, as we close up, I just want to say this for our churchgoers. There is a ridiculousness of conformity in the church. Look, conformity is weird. I gotta be honest, it's weird. It's just weird. I know I'll be like football, but I think it's weird. A uh, hundred thousand people show up in Happy Valley, all wearing blue and white, and saying we are CR. Uh, we, we are. Well, I just said that on there. We are. Uh, we are Penn State. That's, I mean, that's cool in football. That's like a little weird, though. You know what I'm saying? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Well, conformity is weird. It, it is not a natural mandate in the spirit to conform. Conform to what other people are doing. We see this in the biodiversity of planet Earth. God spoke and created all things. There are 100 million species on planet Earth. 100 million species. All different, but all declaring the goodness of the Lord. Psalms 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech for language where their voice is not heard. All of creation declares the glory of the Lord, but yet there is 100 million different species. What I'm trying to get at here is this. I am not you. You are not me. You have giftings. 
I have giftings. We are not the church down the street, and the church down the street is not us. Your ministry is not their ministry, and their ministry is not your ministry. There is a beauty and power in diversity, but when we hear things, and we hear big preachers, and we see big things, there's a desire for people to conform. I want to be like Mario. I want to be like Dan. I want to be like Dave. No, you have to be you in him. And those people that are in the church you know what I'm talking about. Man, there's 7 billion people on planet Earth. No two the same. Everyone unique. Everyone different. But in this creation and amongst this species, we're the only ones that have a choice in the matter to declare the glory of the Lord or not. We're the only one that has the choice. So, why is it that many of us feel a need to fit in. To fit into the world, or maybe even fit into a church. I believe it's because it's really a plan, a plan by the enemy of our soul. Conformity only occurs to the soul of the one who does not understand their value before the living God. When we stand, I'm just going to pray. I believe that there is a generation out there that has conformed too much to a certain standard because they do not understand their value. They don't understand their value before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And unfortunately, I believe that there are many in the church at large that's walking out that same still sinister plan. If the enemy of our souls can diminish your value, he's got you. And so, Father, I pray for these children. And Father, I pray for us that we would understand that we are valued. Father, that you created human beings to walk with you in the cool of the day. You created a, 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 a creation that has a free will to give you honor and glory or not. Now, Father, even though when we sinned in the garden, even when we sinned in the garden, we never ever had to ask, where are you, God? But God himself, when we sinned, said, where are you, Adam? Father, I pray that there will be a revelation in these little ones and to the guests that are here and the people in the church that are here, that God is never too far from you. You are only too far from him. And he's coming and he's knocking on the door of your heart, saying, I value you. You are special in my eyes. I've breathed the breath of life into you. And I've created you for a purpose. I've known you from the womb. I've called you to be a priesthood. I've called you to be light unto a dying world. And there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can do that would cause me not to love you. I love you so much that I am the one, God says, they've paid the price. I gave of myself to take on the sin and the penalty. And all I want, 
All I want because I value you so much is I want you. I want your heart. I want your lips. I want your mind. I want your life. And that is a value that will cause little ones to choose a life of dedication unto a holy God. That value is a value that cuts through addiction. That value cuts through depression and suicide and lust. That's a power that confounds the living and confounds heaven. It confounds them so much for all of eternity. All they can do is say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It has caused heaven to erupt for all of eternity to declare the absurdity of the truth of God that you have value. So parents, whether you have your little ones here or they're 40 years old, I encourage you to pour value upon them. Pour love upon them. Be a witness of the love of Jesus upon them. And all of us, whether we received love from our parents or we didn't, or if right now we're receiving love from, a, from, from someone who's supposed to love you but you're not, know this. God loves you and wants you and has called you into eternal promises to be a light unto the world, to confound the darkness with a bright light. Let it be so in this day. Let us be a people who are internally and eternally transformed into your image, dedicating our lives and dedicating ourselves to be a witness and to the King of Kings and the Lords of Lords. Amen. Please feel free to hang out here and, and soak in the presence of the Lord. But within the next five minutes, we're just going to transition everyone over for our refreshments and food and, and all the fun. Thank you so much for coming. We would love to see you here again on a Sunday morning at 10.05. Have a wonderful week.